0: Everyone, welcome to Noisy Narratives. This is Debbie. I'm here with Christy. Hello, Christy. Hello. And this beautiful, beautiful day in Texas. It is this nice, is when isn't it? Yes, it is, when it's like 60.
1: Yes, and all of our leaves are finally falling. Yes, yeah, so pretty. It's and the pretty, pretty sun until is it's like it's six cool. inches of leaves on the that porch.
0: That's the way it is in my house right now already on the front because I have these trees that you just trees in the front. Yes. Dump everywhere, and so there's so kids don't know it, but we're
1: going to be raking leaves. Are you,
0: Joy? Don't tell them. Oh, I actually remember love doing that when I was little with my dad. I'm I know that we caused him so much extra work because we would jump in the piles and we'd have to redo them Uh
1: all the time. time. But man, it was just so fun. I know it is. It is fun until they start. And we figured out a way to. You put the bag between your legs and you shove the, the yeah. leaves in. You get creative. They start arguing, throwing leaves, throwing bags at each other. It's always a good time. <laughs> the best. I'm sure they're going to start picking up work shifts right now. So they don't have <laughs> so to be there. So can I not
0: be home? Mm-hmm. But I'm sure you being the creative mother you
1: are will find a way around that. Always. always. Thank you, Lord, for inspirations on how to work your day so that everybody can help with the leaves. That's awesome. Uh huh. Even if it means you wake up a little bit earlier did you ever have a promise ring when you were growing up i did not you didn't know i was gonna ask you that question
0: no but what's funny is are you talking about like the james avery ring with uh-huh. the cross in the middle yeah how yeah. do you feel about those um, did you give your
1: daughters one this would no, tell us how you felt about it, right dear? no
0: here. not at all Uh uh-uh. why okay so
1: we're not calling anybody out no, this is just opinions. absolutely not yes this is just
0: opinion um but I'm not also not a fan of like putting a fish on my car. I'm not a fan of those things. I this, yes, this is me. I'm not for horrible reasons. My pers- oh, cause you know that you'll, yeah, my witness maybe, is gone. I, yeah. You're winning while you drive. Mm-hmm. I, it's, um, you know, are we talking, it goes back to kind of that eighties, nineties purity culture thing where you actually, you got a promise ring, you signed a covenant, you signed a co- mm-hmm. covenant basically saying, I won't have sex before I'm mm-hmm. married, this mm-hmm. kind of thing.
1: And usually Um, your dad gives it to you.
0: Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't a fan of all that stuff. No. no. But, and again, I grew up in the mission field. And so, um, you know, I didn't, I wasn't over here formative years during that time. And so, um, that may make a difference. Maybe if I grew up over here in that, I would, I just found myself, I don't know.
1: Not wanting to, right? Like a promise, that a declaration that one will do or refrain from doing something specified.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. So there is a an element of a promise. I just don't. We're human, <laughs> so I don't want someone. Let's say you give your daughter, and she has a night when she's eighteen, nineteen, or sixteen, and she does it. Are you just shattered now? If is she so dis, or she can feel so disappointed. There's too much, too many strings tied to it that made me uncomfortable for well, error. And I know. <laughs> Yes, I'm laughing I at agree. myself as I say this. I'm sorry. I know. No, I know.
0: And that's, and, and I know from my adult perspective now, mm-hmm. it's different, of course, when you were a kid, but um, I know adults who have told me they lived with years of guilt mm. and not choosing not to come forward about things because of that thing. They, they would rather have lied and acted like they were fulfilling the covenant yeah. than to have admitted they weren't, and they needed to take like their promise ring off. Right. And to me, that just sounded heartbreaking because yeah. really what you want at that moment is a child that is willing mm-hmm. to come and in repentance and in grace and in love, mm-hmm. reach out and have the appropriate conversations needed for the heart change versus now learning how to hide not just maybe something they're doing that's hurting them, but also guilt. Mm-hmm. And, and so then it, It becomes no longer, I feel like, about God and what they can learn about God and how much he loves them, how much he's there for them, even in mistakes, but also in repentance and reconciliation. It's no longer about that. Now it's about how do I look a certain way because the shame is so heavy. Mm -hmm. I'm not willing to push through that. And I don't think I can. And honestly, asking young teenagers to push through that is too much. Oh, I'm not, wow. there aren't many adults that do mm-hmm. or will. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that's my very heavy thought. That was very <laughs> heavy. actually. <things. laughs> not, so, did not know that was coming. So, yeah. I've done some thinking <laughs> oh, about yes. those in the years, but, and it's because, but it's because of my conversation with adults, frankly.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. So, but that's funny.
1: I had no idea you were going to ask me that. No, well, we came in talking about promises, but yeah, from your heavy answer, it's a good segue into going when we think of God's promises, Do we really believe them because we put our human lens on? Mm -hmm. And so to say, does God really, God really keeps his promises? Is God really faithful? Is he really kind? Is he always good? Is he always with me? Is he a power over my life? Does he really bring joy to my life? Does he fill me with overflowing? Does he fill me overflowing with hope? Will he strengthen me when I'm, when I'm hurt? Will he help me? Will he give me wisdom? Does he do all these things? Because even the word promise is like a speed bump in the road to get to the point of fully embracing God's promises. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because now what we're looking to see if they're really fulfilled, like a test, maybe Is that or, what you mean. Or just saying, well, this human that I know didn't keep the promise right. or me as a human. Haven't kept a promise as simple as a promise ring growing up, or I have fidelity in my marriage because of the actions I've done, mm-hmm. or I've promised other people things. And I'm, I can't even keep my own promises. There's no way that God can, Versus viewing God as so much bigger and wiser than us. So last week we talked about hope, kind of the Advent season. And then this week, a lot of people are doing peace. And then some of the studies have promise. And so I chose one that's promise. So that's what we're studying this week, kind of in our life group. But I think it Mm -hmm. is good, like a refresher, to go back and reflect on God's promises. And maybe every day be like, I'm going to reflect on this promise all day long like a promise god hears our prayers what does it mean to hear what does it mean to pray and that's from jeremiah 29:12 you will call to me and come and pray to me and i will listen to you and so hearing just hearing that but then dissecting just the word hear what does it mean to hear what do i believe that god hears what do i believe god doesn't hear does he do i don't do i not think he hears because he has not answered because it's not conditional he hears you But he, in his timing, in his divine timing, he might not answer because there's something else coming.
0: Well, and even that, I mean, that's an Old Testament scripture written to certain people at the time, right? And so if you think about it now, even that promises has morphed over time because now we have the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. who hears us constantly, sees us, is in our heart, can literally change us from within. Yes. And that's a promise. And so even that in Jeremiah, there were limitations to Mm -hmm. what they had. And a lot of those limitations were lifted. Mm-hmm. besides our humanity, but a lot of the limitations were lifted when Jesus came. Mm-hmm.
1: So here's a which is an amazing promise too. Right? Totally. Totally. Peace will guard your heart. Philippians four, six through seven. Don't worry about mm-hmm. anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with Thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. So he guards your heart and your mind and it surpasses the peace that surpasses all understanding. all understanding, yeah. But that's a promise right there too. And that's amazing.
0: Well, and it said, first on one nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: and to and to go along with that one, that, I like this Old Testament one of Lamentations three twenty two to twenty three. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassion's never never fail they are new every morning great is your faithfulness so to go along with the first okay. john like how those go together mm-hmm. um but you know scripture interprets scripture yes and they don't go against each other they affirm each other so the challenge this week is if you're not doing an advent study is to focus on god's promises maybe take one or two every day and just reflect on it, like write about it, journal it. But then like I challenged our ladies is don't go off the verse. Like don't, if you're going to, if I'm going to read a verse and I'm going to go with John 10, 10 and I'm going to read it off my phone. The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. I come that you may have life and abundantly. No, open your Bible mm-hmm. and read it in context of John 10, 9 and John 10, 11 and see it there and then chew on that. So maybe on day one, you just take John 10, 10 and you just chew on that. What does it mean? Dissect it. What do you know to be true about it? What do you know to, like, you hesitate about different things. And then on day two, go, I'm going to read it in context of John 10, 9 and 10. Mm -hmm. And then day three, you're going to do 9, 10, 11, and then wrap it up. And maybe you want to do the whole chapter of John 10, but to really take it in context. Because having Google is great, but don't forget the written word, physical written word sitting in front of you.
0: And spending more time. Yes. I think that's, and it's interesting. Maybe we can talk about that someday, but... I was listening time. to someone talking about how they feel like the devotion culture has hurt. Mm.
1: Um, your growth, your foundation. Yes.
0: And foundation a lot of times. And I was like, I think there's an element I always thought just cause I learn differently. I tend to learn in chunks. So there'll be a day, maybe I'm not spending a lot of time in scripture, but there'll be another day I'm spending a yeah. long time. Cause it just depends what my week looks like. And, your and, bre- bandwidth, and my brain and my bandwidth, but, then life also and how, and li- and, but also how the Lord hooks me in on a certain yeah. passage. And if I just love to get in there and follow mm-hmm. the rabbit trails, um, but I kind of released myself from that. You have to have the same time every day, all that. Cause mm-hmm. I felt like that was such, it ended up being such a burden. And I was mm-hmm. like, I don't want my time with the Lord to feel burdensome. I want mm-hmm. it to feel and be something I can learn during and love and love it. Like I want to go sit sit with him. I want to go talk with him. Yeah, for sure. Even if it's in the car,
1: (laughs) even just whatever whatever, all the time,
0: but then just be eager to go follow up with something I'm learning the next day and when, and the next day. And, um, but somebody hit, when they were talking about that, I was like, you know, I hadn't thought about it in a long time, but I think they were right. They were like, they felt like the devotion kind of way they, they, divided things up with these devotion books for them actually mm-hmm. hurt their walk they felt like and I was like well that's
1: it hamstrings you
0: ham. maybe that's the yeah. right
1: word hamstrings. and you
0: feel like you've done it you check the box uh-huh. right
1: yeah and God's um, like no I wanted more time yeah I found too it to be true when I was in seminary many times that it's not the amount of time mm. like go spend 30 minutes with the Lord no there were times that I could spend two minutes, and it was the deepest two minutes Mm -hmm. because I was fully invested for two minutes, and that's what I had, or five minutes, or whatever it was. But I do remember being like, oh, God, I just don't have time. Like, I just don't – or I was – I had the time. It was spent other places, but whatever it was, like, okay, this is what I have. And not shaming myself because I didn't take whatever pastor says or whatever someone Mm – no, you and the Lord are walking that walk together, and he will bless whatever – time you give him, but you have to give it to him. Yeah. I think we do need to have a conversation about time.
0: Well, speaking of time, our um, guest we have is the second part mm. um, of the two-parter where we're doing with Dr. O. And today he's talking about um, discipleship in the church mm. and how we can really um, be there to help individuals who are struggling with addiction and other, other mental health issues, but in such a way that
1: deepens a relationship in the roots of the church. Mm -hmm. And can I say too, if, Mm -hmm. if he says something, because my prayer has been that we do better at women's ministry is discipling each other in the spring. We're going to launch kind of a discipleship program. But if this resonates with you and you're like, sign me up now, please text me or email me. Yeah. (laughs) Like if you're like, Oh yes. And you want to commit now because you want to be held accountable, which I have to do sometimes. Like I hear something and I'll send a note to a friend and be like, don't let me out of this because if I wait, Another minute, or wait two more days. I'm gonna be like, oh, nope, I don't, I can't do it. Talk myself out of it. But if you hear things that he's talking about discipleship, you want to be discipled, or you want to be a mentor, please text me or email me, and just be like, sign me up, and I'll just add you to the list, and we will continue to pray that that group grows. Yes, because we need awesome. each other. We yep. need to go deep. Mm-hmm. We need to have these conversations. Well, in the
0: Bible was not. That's the other thing. Is it the Bible really resonates in the context of community? Yes. I mean, if you're, you're, that's where we learn
1: more about the Bible through mm-hmm. community. And not community like 20, like no offense to life groups. Right. But in 20 to 30 people, no. But if mm-hmm. you're sitting at a table with three or four or five, you're going to learn there. I would yes. even say no more than, I mean, well, you can't get too big because you're not going to share. the
0: context of the layers, right? So if I come on Sunday morning, I'm listening to my uh-huh. pastor and I'm learning. Great. That's one layer.
1: A hundred percent
0: life group is another layer. Yep. It meets a different need. But the discipleship we have in these small groups or even one-to-one discipleship mm-hmm. is just with the intensity that Jesus meant for a relational mm-hmm. kind of biblical growth to happen. Yeah, And I think you're right. I mean, it's so important. And a lot of times it's the place that we miss things because we have mm-hmm. friends. And so we don't always understand the context of the discipleship. Mm-hmm. Is something maybe we're not doing as much as we should because a lot of times we're met. We feel like our needs are met in friendships, right? Which sometimes they are. That's just a different layer.
1: Totally, um, that's a very surfacey layer. I mean, yeah, can be Bible on friend, though, and going deep. That's mm-hmm. that's going to change your character. It's going right. to change your heart. It's going to affect how you function and how you process life that's being thrown at you.
0: It'll be interesting to hear what Doctor O has to say today. Mm-hmm about um, discipleship and counseling in the church. And And if you feel prompted by the Holy Spirit,
1: text or call me. There you go. All the Christy wants to make sure you Mm -hmm. have that on there. Instagram me. You can do all all the things. You just get in touch with me.
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, So here is our interview with um, Dr. O, part two. Okay, we are back. Noisy Narratives is back, and we have part two um, of our discussion with Dr. O.
1: He likes to be called John.
0: Uh, John. He likes... And it's More Jonathan Okanaga. Students. I said that yes, right. Jonathan Okanaga. Right. Um, Dr. Jonathan Okanaga. But we call him John because apparently mm. only his mother or his wife calls we'll call him, him Jonathan. Jonathan. And, and if then it's his... a really bad, his dad will say it. Mm. If he's and then his trouble. students
1: call him Dr. O. Dr. O. Which yes. is what Kelly calls him.
0: Yes. But. So, but we're excited to have you back. We heard your testimony last time and um, talked about a lot of or a big section of your life that, um, you say has been redeemed, Mm -hmm. I would say, right. And now you're using, um, to help influence, love on care for families and people and, um, even teach Mm -hmm. out, um, Southwestern Theological Seminary all the way out in Fort Worth, which is how we know you. If you listened to last time, I would encourage you if you haven't listened to our, this part one, you go back and do that first before listening to this one um, but Kelly Gilbert is one of your students and we all know her well here. So Mm -hmm. that's how we were able to, you know, hook you into coming, driving all the way out here to talk with us. So we are going to continue with, um, part two of this, and we're going to more focus this time on, um, ways you feel like the church, um, can help families and help individuals, um, who are struggling with addiction or even other heart issues any mm-hmm. heart issue really and how biblical counseling can really be engaged well with the church but i think christy's going to start us off with some questions you've got a way you want to jump in here
1: no so i thought you did a great job
0: actually
1: i was like the, uh, you were doing great i will okay. add though um you wrote your dissertation on from sin to disease that's right. The medicalization of addictions and its influence on how the Southern Baptist Convention approaches ministering to those who struggle with mind-altering substances. That
0: is a mouthful.
1: That's what I said when I read the first time. I was like, you're such a professor. The medicalization of addiction. I was like, that was good. I loved it. It's a great title because it says everything that's in there. Yeah. You don't leave us wondering what it's about.
2: Yes, Yeah. You but can how, take my, you can thank my supervisor for that. I'm sure because right? my my original title is nothing mm, close. Not that long either. No, I'm not you know? that smart. No, I no,
1: it's, it's yeah. well, you did write that, right? Yeah. I did. Okay. I did. But you know, when you write those, you have people that help you, for and sure. guide you that have been but there. But you and got to present.
0: You boy. had to present it and everything, oh, yeah. right? You had to do the full gamut.
2: Oh, for sure. I mean,
0: you have to be a little. Do smart. Do I really look
2: like a professor, though?
0: Well, mm. I mean, I I, would say <laughs> I mean, I've had a lot of didn't answer really fast.
2: That's a compliment, though. (laughs) Well, a better question. Kelly, do I look like most of your professors? Do I act like most of your professors? Okay, so yeah.
1: That's the best part, though. That's the classes you want to take when they don't look like the tucked in, tailored, typical white guy. You wear a long shirt. An Aloha shirt. Oh, an Aloha shirt. (laughs) Every class? Not every class, but most. Sorry. Oh, that's good. So, is
0: there Often. a professor like dress code still? Or do you guys get to like kind of push? You know, the... As long
2: as you wear a jacket, the ja- the jacket sanctifies everything else.
0: So you do have to wear a <laughs> coat still, Debbie. and then take it off. You can take it off and put it on the chair, yeah. and it can sit there the whole class.
2: I have a jacket every single day.
0: Yeah, Just, but then you it. can take it off. Yeah. And, I can take yeah. It off. <laughs> Awesome. That's awesome. You know that, that I'll whole, walk through the door with it. You know, the there's home.
2: there's that phrase like ask for a forgiveness, not permission. Yeah. Like my <laughs> my poor dean, he's like, what have you done
1: now? Because like,
0: I bet there still is a dress code, right? I'd
2: probably. I don't know. Yeah. See,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> he didn't. He didn't know. He don't care. He's just rolling. <laughs> I think that's rolling.
0: awesome. Your
1: students appreciate
0: that.
2: Yes, Thank they you. appreciate. Yeah, I'm a little different than most. But
1: I think the topic that you talk about so much too is. You come from a real place and so it gives you authority, it gives you credibility. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's you're you're walking the walk and talking the talk, and I think that's awesome. Well thank you. But you're even not in our churches,
0: that's a realistic understanding. I mean, people are coming to church now dressed Yeah. You know how they how should how they come should. as you are exactly. don't come as you how exactly. you think we think
1: you should look. Wait, I mean no, that I, is life. Well, I
2: spoke in chapel a couple weeks ago and
1: did you have your tattoo showing too? No.
2: Dang it, that i
1: been fine.
2: I, I was even tempted, like, to wear a lower shirt. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, but you know, in, in all honesty, like, I was like, no, I can't. Like, um, standing on the shoulders of giants who've spoken at Southwestern, you know, so I, I respect that from the from the pulpit. Mm-hmm. Like Charleston, he he's preached. You know, um, they have had some big big names. Yeah, and it's that's like, true. And they're asking this former drug addict to share. So I, I wore my suit. good for you buttoned up all the way you couldn't see a single tattoo nice you know but um i respect the in that sense no it's it's a place of reverence when you're you're, when you're speaking in chapel from the pulpit totally but from behind a lectern there's a whole different different
1: speaking of tattoos that's totally appropriate how many tattoos do you have you got lots
2: do you really want to know
1: i wouldn't have asked if i didn't want to know stop whispering speak up oh my gosh no is that you oh, or so is that what your back that's is, you is covered no, he's shown he us is the, showing that's us me a pre-married. picture uh i'm like looking at him in the face like you're gonna tell me you're kidding this is his back is 100 percent tattooed did how long did it take you to get to this point you have an angel in the middle you've got John 316, written down in a cross. God and family.
0: So some of these tattoos Holy are cow. pre-recovery, some are post?
1: There is one, there's two, two
2: tattoos pre-recovery. So there's a kanji of my last name on my back. And there is a ugly tattoo on my leg. Is and the then, goal
1: to have a full body tattoo at some point? At one point it was. Is it not anymore? No. Are you done with tattoos? Yeah, because um, I, I like being employed. Oh. but <laughs> you can to just stop at the collars and the arm. Yeah, no. I, <laughs> okay, just throwing yeah. it out there. I'm sure you've thought about it. That's amazing. Yes. But these
0: are all post-recovery, and so Post do these? Recovery. Do all these tattoos have a meaning behind oh, yeah. them? They all have some kind of a so it, mark, it, milestone moment yeah, or something. Yeah,
2: so the cross on my back was... So it's a cross of John three sixteen for God's love of the world, written on the cross on my back. That was my two-year sober gift. And then the... One on my leg over here. Oh, this is, The yeah, one but- on my leg was two years. The one on my back that crossed was three years. The ones on my arm, the right side of my body is like more um, family stuff. So I have a Japanese koi fish on my arm. Mm. On my side, my tattoo. I have my, oh my um, family crest on my rib cage. Family crest on my rib cage. On the left-hand side is all my faith stuff. Wow. And then for my seventh, uh, sober anniversary, my tattoo artist tattooed my back.
1: Is that like your new addiction tattoos? I was about
0: to ask the same <laughs> yeah. thing. Cause we talked last time how you moved from sure. one addiction, addiction to, to the
2: another. Next. Yeah. You know, my, um, when I was working in California, I didn't have many friends outside of my recovery community. So everyone was within either the sober living home or the recovery church. I was a pastor at that was just basically all I had. And um, I, I realized that I was horrible at taking a Sabbath. Mm, you know, I, yeah. I, I just was horrible at it. But so I, I wasn't at home. I wasn't in Hawaii, so I didn't have a place to go spend my Sabbath at. <laughs> and Is that your excuse? That, no, that I literally spent every Sabbath at the tattoo parlor. Oh. Um, and that was because the, my tattoo artist, he owned it. Uh, he owned the tattoo parlor. And he would come in to do CrossFit with me. Oh. So we traded. I would trade tattoos for CrossFit mm-hmm. sessions, um, and then it just became, well, I'm here Monday, so I'm just gonna. I spent Mondays at the tattoo parlor, and then I'd evangelize to the drug addicts and and those who didn't mm-hmm. necessarily know Jesus, and that's where a lot of my tattoos were faith based. And you know, the tattoo artist would ask, "Why are you getting this? Or what does this mean? Or what does this mm-hmm. scripture verse mean?" Or so even on my Sabbath, I was evangelizing the loss, and it was just. A, a pretty cool opportunity. I mean, tattoo parlors are not necessarily the we're, godliest place. I'll just say we're
1: gonna go with it. Well, I think we know that
2: the safest place,
1: you know, and yeah, you know, and um, they my, are they are fun, and you hear some good stories.
2: Oh yeah, for sure, fun stories. And and then I would talk to um, the people getting tattoos, and they're like, "You're a pastor." I'm like, "Yeah, I'm a pastor." And I'm like, "You're at a tattoo shop." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm at a tattoo shop. Like, don't Christians hate people with tattoos? And I'm like, well, they hate me then, you know. And it was just a, a pretty cool opportunity to minister to a segment of society that doesn't necessarily have someone evangelizing to them.
1: As even a area that people think that people don't like them or hate yeah. them. So a I, group it, of Christians. I, I was like Pastor that. John. Yeah, you that's know? awesome. So
2: when I come in, I was Pastor John, and I would talk to the other tattoo artists and couple guys tried to get sober so i i talked to them and give them my number um they could call me um so i guess even on my sabbath i was still working but you know it's fun like i go in the morning like when they open up the shop at 10 hang out we go have lunch with the tattoo owner then go back and just hang out for the rest of the day and you know my, my mom didn't necessarily like that because like mom last tattoo and she's like i don't believe you <laughs> um you know but i probably have i don't know Eighty hours worth of work on my body. Oh, I bet. So when I was Amazing. in shape, yeah, when I was in shape and not fat, someone said, "When I, when you die, can I get your skin?" And I'm like, "That's a Ooh. weird request." <laughs> but totally but so now hard. it's kind of stretched out, so I don't yeah. know, necessarily know if they want to yeah. do that, go that back <laughs> to
1: Yeah. Well, I do want to dive into this. Your your I guess your paper. The Southern Baptist Convention approaches ministering to those who struggle with mind altering substances. What made you want to write about that? Because it's kind of a bold thing to write about. Being in the Southern Baptist area, Convention. yeah. Well, even being down here with Southern Baptist churches. Mm-hmm. Well,
2: I argue that it's not just SBC. I have to put S. I have to put SBC for my dissertation. I argue that all churches, regardless of denominations, have approached addictions incorrectly. And what I mean by that is, uh, and so here, so I'm going to give a disclaimer first, and I do the disclaimer in my class, and I ask my class. How many of you are at a church that has a 24-hour hotline available for, for someone who's struggling to call in, to call and say, hey, um, I want to pick up a drink or a drug. Do any of you have a 24-hour hotline that is available for free for alcoholics to call in? And no one has it. And I'm saying, well, you want to know who does? Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. And then I follow up with another question. How many of you have people in your church that will open up their couches to someone who's detoxing from from heroin and allow that person... Detoxing from heroin to throw up and and poop on your your couch, and not a single hand goes up. And then I'm like, how many of you um have church members who can get a phone call at 12 at night, saying, hey, I want to pick up a drink or a drug, and you'll go sit with them for days on end until mm-hmm. the moment is passed, and you just have a cycle of volunteers willing to go and sit with that person and they, on on end, and no reason. As I'll tell you who does: Alcoholics Anonymous. And I close with this: How many of you are at a church? that offers free resources mm. what i mean by free resources books that you can charge 15 to 20 dollars and if someone doesn't have the money to buy that book that you give it away for free and no one raises their hand and, I'll, and i I'll close with this i'll tell you who does alcoholics anonymous now with that said that's who churches have copied churches have copied everything but that part mm. <laughs> which is insane like so we—you we, mean
0: like we have a program like CR Celebrate Recovery, like we've copied like the steps, the steps type stuff, mm-hmm. and made it kind of ours, but we haven't copied the support programs Correct. that actually enable art. someone from Correct. day to day yeah. to recover and stay in recovery.
2: We've copied the wrong things, mm. and that's what I've argued in, in, this, in my in my dissertation. We have copied the wrong things. Alcoholics Anonymous provides something that we have been horrible at for the last a hundred years. And that is caring for those who don't look like us. Mm. They, they do an excellent job of caring for those who don't look like us. They do a great job of, of loving the unlovable, mm. offering hope to the hopeless. They do an amazing job, but where they're negligent is they don't point them to the cross, right? They're just doing behavior modification. And what did we as a church do? We took the behavior modification and we left out the loving people part, mm-hmm. you know, and that's where we got it wrong. So what we've done is we we have actually copied and tried to Christianize parts of whatever. So we've we've taken this model and we've we've slapped scripture on it to make it ours. Hmm. And, and here here's my problem, my ultimate problem with programs. Programs don't heal people. They don't. It, it's a it's a modification of behaviors that takes place. But true healing happens through the holy spirit it's the holy spirit that convicts it's the holy spirit that pr- that brings about that heart change and we're dealing with symptoms we're not actually dealing with the heart we're telling them well we'll change this but what really needs to be changed is a heart to be more like christ a heart that is desiring to be obedient to the word of god and that is what's what's absent now you know it, and i tell my classes if if you're in north dakota and i get a phone call from someone in north dakota and they say hey um, I want to get sober, and I say, so do you have a church body that is willing to help you? No. Guess where I'm going to tell them to go? Alcoholics Anonymous. That's right. Because
0: mm-hmm.
2: you can't counsel a dead person. And, and it grieves my heart to say that that happens more often than not. And, and how do I know this? Because you know I've been working with addicts now for 15 years, and, and I remember one time in Hawaii, um, I was going to, um, and I had years of sobriety at this point, and I was going to um, one of my former hangouts because one of my former bartenders had, had messaged me like, "Hey, I want to get sober. You can come in and, and help me?" So it was, a, it was a Saturday night softball game, and you know, one of the guys I was helping with sobriety was playing softball. And I, I told the people there like, "Hey, I gotta. Go. I'm going down to this place. It's called Tsunamis at the time. I'm going down to Tsunamis because um, one of my friends wants to get sober." And, and one of the wives said, "Why are you going down to help dirty people?" Hmm. You know. And unfortunately, that's that's the mentality that we've had for so long. And hopefully that, that narrative has changed. This was, you know, 13 years ago, at least 13 years ago. So hopefully that narrative has changed. But for so long, we have approached those who struggle with, with these issues as dirty people. You know, and we wonder why they say, I'll come when I'm fixed. No, the the, the church isn't supposed to be um, a museum for the saints. It's supposed to be a hospital for the sick. But for so long, we've treated it as... We come in our Sunday best, and we don't talk about what's going on in our life. The well, reality is the church needs to be the place that we're caring for the broken and we're caring for the sick, and why? Because this is the perfect place for them to come in, you know? It, but but we've we haven't we have done a good job at that. Now, where is the SBC or, or church has gotten it wrong for so long? We've gotten it wrong because we think that showing up for a Friday night for two hours is more than enough, and it's not more than enough. You're just barely scratching the surface because what is that individual doing for the other six days? Where are they going? Who are they spending their time with? And then the, the pushback, well, they, they're going to call their sponsor. I'm like, well, inherently that's wrong right there because what they should be doing is praying. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, no, he's going to go pray, read the Bible more and pray more, and that's going to solve your problems. And yes, but no. So here, let, let me clarify what I mean by that. Well, we need to have individuals who are actually modeling what it's like to live a Christ-centered life. We tell people this is what Jesus did. But then we don't model for them what that actually looks like. you know. And what you got to understand is someone who's dealing with substance abuse or coming from from a lifestyle that has not brought God praise going on for so long, they have no idea what that's supposed to look like. You know. So what are they supposed to do? They go to work, they go home, they read the Bible for eight hours. And I push back, what pastor reads their Bible eight hours a day? Yeah. But that's, in essence, what we're doing when we're relying on quote-unquote a program. And that's, you come Friday, you come for two hours, and then you're good. And I argue, no, you're not good. Because what you got to understand is for, you know, we'll use my my life story as an example. For 13 years, every day I was hanging out with a certain group of friends. And what my pastor, David Giomi, said is so totally immersion into a whole new lifestyle. And he didn't just tell me so totally immersed into a whole new lifestyle. He modeled it for me. Like he showed me like, hey, this is what you're supposed to do after work. You're going to, Go work out. You're going to spend some time in the Word. You're going to do X, Y, and Z. This is
0: where you had people every day. You said that were set every up to day. be with you every single yep. day.
2: And you know, I've I've had small church pastors say, "I'm just one pastor. How am I supposed to do that?" And I was like, "Well, you you, you have a body. You have the body of Christ. <laughs> you're and not you have, supposed to do it. You're not supposed. To, you're supposed to invent. You're supposed to get preacher from the pulpit to get your people involved.
0: So then, can I? So then, this that this question's been percolating in my head. Then, and you just kind of start touching on it. What do you say to pastors who say, and people to church who say, <laughs> he's like, great, she's going to get me in trouble. I'm really not. I just want to yeah, get you your are. honest response. <laughs>
2: You're getting me in trouble. I'm coming close to the mic. You're getting it. Go for
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say when they look at you and say, that's not the job of the church? Whose job is it? And the, it's the job. And. I'm not saying I agree with this. Person. Oh, no, I know. That's what okay. I say. Whose yes. job is it? And so what they're saying is it's the job of Alcoholics Anonymous, rehab centers, outsourcing. Na- outsourcing, name the list. And our people, it's not their job either, right?
2: Where is that found in the Bible?
0: Great question. So explain, what would be your response? Is that That's, would be your That response? was my response. Where is that found Where in the Bible? Where is that
2: found in the Bible? Okay. What did Jesus do with his disciples? Did he outsource them to the Pharisees or the Sadducees?
0: so do you feel like that's what we're doing yeah
2: absolutely and, and here what's the first the chicken or the egg right so right now and first
0: of all these people have the best of intentions oh absolutely like need to
1: put that now out you're there. feeling bad for the oh, question no, no. debbie I here comes kicking bad. in you don't feel bad no, it's a good question it is the best of intentions here, here's, yes. here's, here's it. your okay. off route okay <laughs> yes.
0: it's
2: because we haven't taught that at seminary
0: so you're saying it falls first on the seminaries you yeah. think okay
2: this is where i'm gonna get in trouble
0: but you're trying to change that, right? I'm, tra- I mean, I'm definitely
2: needs- trying to change
1: that. I think you're, you're doing it. You are changing it.
2: You know, we have we have this thing where, you know, um, and this is for the, you know, I've been at seminary for coming up on 10 years now. I argue that we need to teach our students how to disciple. And then there's some pushback from some of my colleagues or whatever. They say, no, that's the church's job to teach them how to disciple. But my question is like, so what church is doing discipleship well? Then everyone gets really quiet. And why aren't the churches doing discipleship? Well, it's because we've never taught the pastors how to do discipleship. So I argue that the pastors are negligent because they're not teaching it. And, but I push back is our job as the seminary to equip and show them what it's like to disciple. Because if no one's been discipling for the last 80 years, who's supposed to do it? Is it the church's responsibility or is it the seminary's responsibility? Ultimately it's a church's responsibility, but if we haven't trained them on how to do it, that falls on us.
0: So where do you start? If you're saying we haven't, like as a pastor, sure. I haven't developed that model. Cause mm-hmm. really that model means if I'd been doing it for the last twenty years, I would have discipled three people a year. And yep. then they would have then picked up and discipled three more. And then at this point we would have had You're looking our for a blueprint. Two hundred or whatever that could have bought a Christ, sure. gone and been the hands and feet. So if I'm looking at that now going, That seems overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Like where do I start? With one okay one person one you person. pick one person you
2: pick one person pick a, so if we're, we're dealing and this was a question I actually asked in our class the other day how do we change this and I said it starts with the lead pastor not the executive pastor the discipleship pastor whatever, however many pastors you have it starts with the top he needs to be the one who filters that down to say this is we're going to be a church of discipleship and I get it like at a church this size you have 5,000 he cannot disciple 5,000. But what he can do is he can say, "Executive Pastor Fred, I'm going to disciple you," and then Executive Pastor Fred is going to disciple the discipleship pastor, and the discipleship pastor is going to disciple someone else, and it trickles down. Is it going to take time? Yeah, it's not going to happen overnight. And see, that's our culture. We want everything done right now. And don't ask me snapping my fingers. That's a
1: great snap, by the way. Thank you have you. a good snap. Well, thank you. <laughs> Sorry,
2: we do need to acknowledge that. That was amazing. But we live in a microwave society. We're, we're used to putting things in a microwave, hitting three minutes,
1: and then we're done. Well, you said last podcast I was too busy with my time. Yeah, and that's what like, and that's what you're getting to the microwave. But that's what that's where we're at. We're we too spend our busy time with things. Yeah. Yes.
2: But let me ask you this: If you had a choice oh, of steak and lobster or a television dinner, who here wants a television dinner? No one, right? But you can get in three minutes. Mm-hmm. But if you want the steak and lobster, what is you steak gotta and lobster? For you got to work for yeah. it, and it takes time.
0: Yeah. And you got to learn how to do it. Correct. So <laughs> like how some do of we, us can't and just you make pay a mistake.
1: So,
2: <laughs> so, so for those, so loaded question, right? So this is where I'm supposed to see, we'll come, come to seminary. I'm not going to go there, and I might get fired for that comment. Here's what pastors need to do. Look at the life of Jesus. What did he do with his disciples? Did he say, oh, go hang out with the Pharisees and Sadducees? Or did he walk with them for a season of life? He walked with them for a season of life. Not just sometimes, but daily. checking Yeah, intensely. In intensely. So here's what I do with my guys. You know, they start off with a proverb a day. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. Most times there's 31 um, uh, days in the month. So every the first month what they do is they're going to read a proverb a day and they need to send me a text message. What does a fool do? What does a fool does? And what does a wise man do? And that's all they're going to do for the first month. Every single day they're texting me. This is what a wise man does. This is what a fool does month two, what they're going to do is they're going to look at the other, other idiots in, in, Proverbs, the scoffer, the mocker, the lazy, right? And what they're going to do is all the things that they wrote, what the wise man did in month one, they're going to push back against how do you address all these other things. Mm. And in the third month, what they're going to send me every single day, they're going to send me, what did you learn about yourself and how to live a life that brings God praise glory, and honor. So that's just to start every single day for three months. That's the conversations that we're having back and forth. And then, and then throughout the week, they come over to my house to watch a ball game with me. They, um, we go out to lunch.
0: And uh, how many guys typically is this for you? Like three? Three. Okay. So you pick three for like a year. Mm-hmm. Okay. And these are people God has put in your life and okay. you're going, okay, I think these are my three, yep. my guys for the year. And you do that for a year. Yep. And then the expectation is after that year, Eight. each of those three are now picking three? Yep.
2: Or one. To or start. one. Because I've been doing this for one. so long, right? So oh, I can, Okay. So they're going to start to do just one a year. One. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. I started teaching principals this past year. So I took three guys for my principals class and principals is beginning stages of seminary. So they're, they're fresh. They don't have community yet. They're, they're just kind of getting their feet wet. So I took three guys, um, Brennan, Chris, and Logan. And while we did the same thing and we, we met every, every, um, Thursday for lunch and we just built community that way. And then a bunch of them got married this past summer. So now we've actually included their wives. So their wives, come and hang out with us once a week as well and an amazing thing probably at the four month mark my conversations daily with them kind of trickled off and i was like am i doing something wrong because usually it's just one-on-one this is the first time i've ever done three together at the same time and then i finally asked him like are you guys getting king out of this because we're not communicating as much as we used to and then they're like oh we started our own side text message group (laughs)
0: We left okay. you out.
2: <laughs> they left me out. Good. Like for real. They they kind of like they kicked me off the island, and um.
1: But that like win for God right there. Like that was the
2: that was intention.
1: Yeah. So, so now good. they're
2: they're working with each other. Um. Mm. And remember, they just met in January. One of them got married in July, and he included one of those guys in his wedding mm. ceremony. You know. And so coming up in January, I'm teaching principles again. I'm gonna get three new guys. And I'm gonna include Logan, Brennan, and Chris, and we're not gonna be a group of six. But I'm gonna have them disciple them one on one, and I'm just I'm still gonna be overseeing everything. But how how do you start that at a church? It starts at the top. If your pastor doesn't believe in discipleship, it's a moot point. Not gonna happen. And I think that's where a lot of pastors have have fallen for this lie that um, they're not equipped, that they're not savvy enough in the world of psychology to help. And, and I, I teach them this in my, my principles class. Well, let's look at some biblical figures who struggled with what the world calls anxiety. And I ask pastors this. So who, who in the Bible struggled with anxiety? And they can name off a bunch of names, Elijah, Jeremiah, Jonah, David. And I'm like, so what psychological principle helped them? Hmm. they're like, well, it didn't. And I was like, what helped them? praying and spending time in the word and
0: relationship with the Lord,
2: God sending angels to comfort them and (laughs)
0: prophets, prophets to convict them. And
2: And it starts to get them to think differently. And I'm like, Mm. so what does the world have to offer that we don't have to offer?
1: Mm.
2: And they're like, well, they have years of training and I'm like, so we've defaulted to this secular model of helping individuals who have quote unquote mental health issues. So if it works, shouldn't our society be better? And then I follow up with this question. How many of you think our society is better off today than it was 100 years ago? And no one can raise their hand to that. And I ask them, why is that? And I say it's because psychology has become the newest religion. If you ask our young people today who are struggling with depression or anxiety, who are they going for help? Where are they going? Are they coming to your youth minister or to your pastor? And the answer most times is no. They're going to a therapist. And is a therapist pointing them to truth? Odds are the answer is no. Mm. So we have a whole generation that has been told that the word of God is not enough. And then that's where I, I close with pastors. Do you believe that the word of God is enough?
0: Well, and I think I love everything you just said. I, I feel like part of the. There's a um, what's the word? An intimidation. Mm-hmm. You're scared that you're going to say something wrong. And this is what I hear yeah. from pastors and ministers sure. a lot: you don't feel equipped. You're afraid you're going to say something wrong and you're going to hurt them accidentally, or you're going to cause them to go into a depression, or you're going to cause them, you know, God, there's a lot of yourself. You in that. Yeah, exactly. Or you, right? I mean, you're like,
1: dependent on the Holy Spirit as you're, you're doing that. With but them. we're
0: scared, and I think you're right. You touched on it earlier, like Satan has made us feel like we're ineffective. And there's something to fear. We've
1: allowed Satan to make us feel this way.
0: Absolutely. Yes. And so my question then is... I'm on the same page with you then. Yeah. um, (laughs) I think we are too, and I know we are. But then there are people, I feel like, there's gifting in the body. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we say, that's not my gift. Like we're not supposed to utilize certain things if our gift is discipleship or whatever. Mm -hmm. Instead of going, those people with those gifts are actually there to help equip the people... Mm Who maybe aren't? Yeah, it's not their gift. It doesn't mean we don't have access to it or we mm-hmm. can't use it. What it means is we need to be going to the people who are good at it and mm-hmm. learning yeah. how to do that, right?
2: And that's why you have Kelly. You know, at your yes, church she's here, gifted. you have Kelly, who, who's for the ladies who are having issues, like whether it's parenting or struggling with depression or anxiety. Kelly, Kelly's an excellent resource. Like she's one of my better students. You know, best students. So you have you have individuals who are getting the training. But unfortunately the church looks down on it. Well, you're not licensed. so You're not good enough. Well, I argue that they're more than good enough. Why? Because they're pointing you to scripture.
1: Hmm.
2: And if you truly believe in the sufficiency of scripture, then the, the word of God transforms. Right. And I tell my students, your job is not to fix anyone. Right. You can't fix anyone. You really can't. But what you're, if you're, if what you're doing is you're pointing them to the word of God. You're having them pray. And it's the Holy Spirit that's going to convict and change them from the inside out. But also equipping them with homework and practical advice and how to actually listen, and and reply in love. You know, most secular they just sit there. How do you feel? And and I didn't because I had secular training in California. I could be licensed in California. I've just elected not to. And the reason why I elected not to is because I can't speak truth. I'm pigeonholed by what the state or the or the the secular world says I can and cannot say. And now I have absolute freedom to say you're being an idiot. You're being a fool. I also have the freedom to say, hey, if you're struggling and, and you're struggling with, with substance abuse or you're struggling with drinking, why don't you come over to my house on Saturday? I guarantee you there's not a single secular counselor who's inviting their people over to their home on a weekend. I spend every single day with the guys that God has placed in my life. Why? Because they, la- they their lives have value to me and they matter to me. And that's where churches need to come on board and say, what is a life worth? I, really, what is a life worth? And we're willing to invest in our people like Kelly who wants to learn how to care for God's people in a God-honoring way. And I, I would say yes. Your, your lead pastor can't minister all 5,000, mm-hmm. but if we have more and more Kellys in your congregation who are caring for the broken, helping those who are struggling, that there is ultimate hope that can be given to them.
0: <coughs> and I think, like, to Christy's point, like, we've allowed... That Satan to kind of maneuver us a certain position. Um, I feel like there's so much fear, though, yes. in our in our choice not to engage. Because I'm or even la- here and laziness and lazy, or I've got a lot of time. I'm spending on sports and everything else, but also I'm scared to have these people in my home.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm
0: scared. I have children, which is a
1: valid fear. Oh yeah, but I think too, God protects things. You can go into a scary situation, sure, but then. God's protecting you as you're just walking You're even yeah. if you're ministering to the homeless on the street, mm-hmm. you could be going down a scary street, but I believe you're doing that, you're doing it in faith, you're doing courage, God's going to protect you. But
0: even then he might not. I know yeah. people who been I well, that. Well, with my
1: brother when he was diagnosed, I wanted James to come in our house and Greg was like, "No. Yeah. no. He cannot be around the kids right but, now." But see like from my heart, but I know. it's probably yeah. true. Yeah. I mean, it, it's
2: <laughs> it's changed for me, right? So when I was single and you know, I worked with convicted rapists, murderers, all that kind of stuff, right? That's just the world I lived in. And I would have them over, you know, mm-hmm. I, I would have them over. I'd spend time with them. And then when I got married, I'm like, you know what? My job first is to protect my wife. Yeah. Right. So those who have been convicted of sex crimes and those things, I still meet with them, but they wouldn't be at my house. But I would connect them with someone who could invest that that time needed with them. And then we had James. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's a whole nother level of protection. Because now you have a child. That yeah. I need to put into. And that's what I challenge my students. I cannot be the one in the trenches all the time. So that's why I'm training some of you to be in the trenches, to care for those that I will help you with. And I love them and I still want to help them, but they cannot come into my house because my job first and foremost is to protect my family. Mm. So case in point, (laughs) when I was in seminary, I would take guys who couldn't afford rehab and we would actually run a little mini rehab out of my, I run a little mini rehab out of my apartment.
1: Oh, there you go yeah <laughs> kelly's laughing <laughs> not the greatest thing
2: right but that's it was, <coughs> that was just me and nicole yeah would i ever do that again now maybe but it's someone i probably worked with in the past and have a really good relationship mm. i would take guys i get a phone call from dr babbler hey i have a i have a family who has a son who needs help will you help him for however long year? yeah sure have him come over
1: <laughs> i would. uh Highland Park Apartments, number one
2: twenty eight. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, we, we That in a, sounds a little sketchy. <laughs> we lived in a two two bedroom apartment, and we would make our guest room into like a little mini rehab for people. Yeah, and that's also because I had a wife who is so supportive of what I do. Oh, you know, I couldn't do it without Nicole, and that's why I said I married way above my pay grade. She allows me to do ministry because she goes, I trust that you're praying, and I trust that you're relying on the the Lord for guidance in whatever decisions. You have for our family but when we had james she was like we will not have guys fresh off the street anymore
0: but even you have a, you make a good, good point good. because i think of do you know michael snetzer Mm-mm. he oh, wrote steps yeah. and he's you know so he bought a house down here mm-hmm. and then closer to dallas and it's only for and it's for the whole purpose of putting guys in there yeah who are coming out of rehab mm-hmm. and or who don't even want to go to rehab but the whole point is there. are Yep. a group and every day they meet and mm-hmm. he's got this whole structure in place but the whole thing with the guys is when he talks to him because um, we've sent a couple of our guys yeah. to him is is your church like you said supporting do you have a support structure in your church mm-hmm. and he says that makes a big difference on a difference huge yeah. if
2: you give like me a saying, home with four bedrooms mm-hmm. you know so it is absolutely possible um and it's needed yeah. So I argue that the best place would be a sober living home and or um, having individuals willing to invest even if they're living at home. But at mm-hmm. the home, the home has to change, right? So if mom and dad mm-hmm. are still drinking, they they got to stop drinking, right? So right. so there's a whole, totally immersion into a whole new lifestyle. So where can the, if, you give, if you're to give me a, a utopia, is that the question you're asking me? What yeah, does that like look what, like?
0: What could the, well, and we could invest, could, what kind of utopia could the church invest in? <laughs> For recovery, if we could.
2: Before you get a home, you need to train your people.
0: So training first.
2: You have your people trained, and then you actually become a community. And what I mean by that is that that you just love on that attic So, and people are like, "Well, I don't have a lot of money. You don't need a lot of money, to be honest. You don't. What you need to have is a heart and passion to take a risk to to care for the broken. That when they come in smelly on Sunday, you don't." move away from them and like you move towards them and say, hey, I'm glad that you're here. Mm -hmm. And before you say, don't come in smelling the alcohol next week, then maybe you take them out to lunch after Sunday service and you get to know why are they actually here? And it's probably because they've heard that the church is supposed to be a place for the broken and the sick. And they took a risk coming into your church. So you start to build relationships, right? And then it, so that's for someone who's not a church member. And then if you have a quote unquote sober living home, kind of like what's opening up, You move them to a sober living home. That's good. But there's so many organizations out there for non-believers. I care about the church member who has a son, and they're too embarrassed to say, my son needs help. Mm. That starts with training. To make sure that your church is open to say, hey, I have my issues, and so do you, so let's work together to help them. And that you have a network. Of, of believers willing to come alongside them and walk with them for a year and, and you just walk with them that is more than just a Friday night sermon for two hours that it's daily investment you have one lead person who, who's overseeing whatever caring for this person but you have other helpers other helpmates that come alongside and help lead this person to a life of freedom that the church doesn't just see them as numbers but they start to see them as people that you don't start to see them as numbers. You start to see them as as if I don't get this right, the likelihood of them not dying or being thrown in jail is is slim. That you start to look at the reality. If we don't care for them, where are they going to end up in 5, 10, 15 mm-hmm. years? And the likelihood is it, they're either going to end up in jail, they're going to end up in a mental institution, or they're going to end up dead.
0: That's such a sobering reality. And we have people here that care very, very much mm-hmm. For people in those situations with yeah. recovery, have even gone through recovery themselves, mm-hmm. lead some program things yeah. here. Um, and I would say pour a lot into people. What you're saying is it has to more permeate the entirety of the culture.
2: Yes. So we and live- that's
0: a massive sea change.
2: Absolutely. Because, you know, how, you have a big church. How hard yeah. is it for you to find volunteers to work in the nursery? Because we live in a culture of gimme. Yeah. Not in a culture of how can I serve. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that, that attitude of of serving is not easy, you know, and that's where the leaders, you guys got to model it for them. Like, if you're saying, hey, you got to serve, then you serve outside of your ministry capacities, right? So, um, like, for me, I'm off the clock 100% of the time when I'm discipling my boys. They're seminary students, but they're off the clock. This is not a requirement for working at Southwestern. I mean, I, I'm doing this because... This is how passionate I am about it. That if I'm going to tell my students, like, you got to do this outside of your work hours. If you're in ministry, that this is not your job. This is you being a believer. Mm -hmm. Mm Right. Then guess what you can have for all of your people who have regular jobs? Like, oh, wow. Like, they're doing this outside of their ministry job. They're just doing this because this is what we're called to do. Right. You're modeling for that. So when I tell someone like Kelly, hey, Kelly, I want you to volunteer an hour a month helping someone. She can't say, well, John doesn't do it. Like they know that you do it, too. that I do it outside of school hours. Mm-hmm. So that's but it starts from once again, mm-hmm. it starts from the top. So if your congregation of four thousand see every single ministry person who has a job here doing it outside of work hours, what kind of ministry would you guys have here? And I argue it would be absolutely transforming for this community here in Frisco, because if you get all of your your workers. To say I'm going to volunteer one hour a week. That's all I'm asking. I'm not asking for an hour a day. I'm asking all of you on Derek. St- <laughs> like, Never bring him on this podcast again. <laughs> I do a good job with that. You either love me or you hate me. Mm-hmm. I had one guy like write a one for how I did for an addiction thing, and, and he gave me a one because I said drinking alcohol isn't wise. I, I, I annoy a lot of people. <laughs> but what would happen if every single staff member here volunteered one hour a week in some non-ministry capacity doing ministry outside of your silo mm-hmm. outside of what you're required to do every week mm-hmm. for your 40 hours or 60 hours or eight one mm-hmm. hour a week that you're investing in someone outside of the church and even better no one knows about it mm-hmm. random of clients that no one knows about how many people do you have on staff here
0: i think we're um, up to like 36 that's what i was gonna say 30 okay. i was I saying 30s
2: think... okay let's yeah. go 30. so what would happen if an additional 30 hours mm outside of the, the work context was invested into your people here every week. So in a month, that's 120 extra people that you're investing in. And then your 3,000 members start to see like, wow, they're investing in hour a week. What if I did that? That's 3,000 hours a week mm-hmm. of community service coming from this church. Over a month, that's 12,000 hours. Of investing into the frisco community what kind of difference would you guys see here
1: mm. yeah. amazing that's good
2: and now now the pushback is like, but i don't want to work with drug addicts and that's fine i get it not everyone is cut out for this but what if you hear about someone who's taking that person into their home right they're they're, they're and actually they need support and they need support they need a meal sent once a month mm. or once a week or you need them to babysit their kids so that mom and dad can go out on a date yeah or they need clothes or they need clothes mm -hmm. doesn't always have to be T-I-M-E in that context right maybe like some families are like I don't have an hour to invest into other. I just got enough with my home so Mm -hmm. you challenge them to give one more hour to their kids what happened then over a year that's 52 more hours a week Mm -hmm. what kind of change will we actually see in the church now once again we're looking at numbers is that quantifiable and the answer is in the beginning, no. There, there's no way you can quantify this in more people coming to church or more people signing your visitor card, right? But that's not why you're doing it. You're doing because that's what we're called to do: is ministers mm-hmm. of the gospel.
0: And I think that's what's hard too is in a culture where structured time mm-hmm. is kind of so important. And why, by that, I mean scholastic, academic. I mean sports. I mean, activities you're engaged in, and that, a lot, for a lot of families, counts, right, towards that, what's the word I would call that, time together. Mm-hmm. So, oh. how if you're trying to Just define what this that. time looks like, what would you say it looks like then? You're saying an extra hour, but yeah. it seems, again, very obscure. Sure. So, what would you say mm-hmm. that that... Well, before we that get into that, like, this,
2: is, this is from Dr. Richard Ross, who's who's one of an amazing professor at Southwestern. This was his Facebook post yesterday, and he said, "Pastor, why?" This is a pastor saying, "Why do you pay tens of thousands of dollars to a college that's distorting your son's worldview and dismantling his faith?" The church dad says, "Graduating from that college will almost guarantee my son will be financially prosperous." We have to keep first things first. Before we get into any of that, we have to change the mindset of what is actually important.
1: Yes. Right? Okay. So that, yeah. So, that's so that good. comes from the top. Okay.
2: So what does that look like more for a, for mm-hmm. a family context? So we're gonna talk. I'm talking to Debbie before mm. I get to to Christy. What does that look like for a mom, right? Mm-hmm. What that might mean for a mom is instead of spending that extra hour getting a coffee at Starbucks with her her girlfriends, that she spends that hour reading a book to her kid. Or for a dad, right? Instead of spending that hour watching, staying up late watching. Uh, Right now, the Mavericks play, I guess, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And football, right? Or football, right? And yeah, so all is, day
1: Saturday, you can be sitting Saturday. watching football. And Sunday, and, and Thursday, and Monday. And, mm-hmm. Monday. and I'm
2: guilty of that as well, right? But right now, I have my son sitting next to me, so I'm blessed.
1: Well, he's watching <laughs> sports, so I can get away with it. So
0: I guess a parent would ask, though, does that count? Me sitting next to my son watching football together, sure. does that count as the quality time you're talking about?
1: Yeah. Does it count when they have their phone on and they're sitting next to you and you're watching? Thank you. So
0: it's about how, it's about the fact that you're available to engage with your kid constantly, minute by minute for that amount. Sure.
2: Yeah. So when James sits next to me, and James is three, his vocabulary is not the greatest. Right. (laughs) When James is sitting next to me, my phone is down. He's sitting with me, my arm is around him. Parent, what does that look like? Yeah. Spending time, you can, you can be watching, um, Football game or a cooking show, but as long as you're present with your kid
0: and not distracted with something
1: else, correct?
2: That would be life transforming, right?
1: So are car rides if you turn off the music and, you, just and you actually car, talk to them and you talk. Yeah, how was your day? What's going on? And you're not distracted, and neither one are distracted, and there's no music. I mean, yeah. I think you can find it. You, Siri said one moment. Yeah, Siri said one moment. <laughs> I think you can find it, you just have to want it, yeah, work at it, and work at it. Who else is going to invest in my son? I'll tell
2: you who's willing to invest in my son, the world. Mm-hmm. Whether it's TikTok or Instagram or young kids don't watch Facebook. And that's what
0: it comes down to is what are we <coughs> willing to put away for people? Correct. Whether it's our kid, whether it's our spouse, whether it's a friend, a family member, whether it's a member of our church mm-hmm. that needs us, whether it's yeah. a community member, what are we willing to give up? to give up to what's invest an, in the person?
2: What's an idol in your life? That you need to give up to invest in the community.
0: I already gave up coffee, so. So, tap the (laughs)
1: brakes, Dr. O. You know, don't ask any
0: more of me. Come on. I think, though, like, last week. No, I'm kidding. No, you're right. That's a great question. But
1: you had, and it's hard. Like, giving up, it's hard, and you. And you have to stick with it. Like you have to continue doing it yeah. because it's easy to start it and then be like, This is exhausting, or they don't want to, or they're already not even done. Nice. I don't have
0: to do it anymore. Yes.
1: But to stick with it and you're in it for the long haul. And again, mm-hmm. you're not gonna see anything up front, but later on in life mm-hmm. you'll see it.
2: Well, you know, what the student or one of my extra credit questions for my students is um to answer, have to answer this question. The reward for obedience is obedience. What does that mean? You know, and it's like, are you being obedient because you expect something in return? Or are you beating because that's what we're called to do?
0: Obedience to Christ. Yeah.
2: Right. And and Mm -hmm. oftentimes, like we do something because we expect something in return.
0: That's right.
2: In reality, being a believer is not easy. It doesn't promise us an easy life. Actually, we're going to suffer. And
0: if you're doing something and not telling people about it, like you said earlier, there's a good chance you're getting nothing. Correct. Physically, you know, yeah. not, like you're They're, having to give to give.
2: Yeah, there's no recognition. You know, mm-hmm. I, I challenge my students or the guys I work with. They need to do a random act of kindness every day that no one knows about. Oh,
1: that's good.
2: And one of my stinking students asked me, so what, do you, what is yours? And I was like, well, I really hate seeing shopping carts in the middle of the, um, the parking lot. Preach. So I'll park next to that. S- oh. <laughs> Christy's like, that's We've me. We've had this on a podcast already. Oh, for real? <laughs> Are you guilty, Christy?
1: no response. not anymore not maybe anymore. maybe we can no so her. i do but i'll take my go i will now take my grocery cart back by like, look at me i'm doing something good i'm putting my grocery cart back so in you're look the at ones me. i've
2: had to put shopping carts away from
0: yeah not anymore because we convicted uh, her She's getting changed. better, getting so, better. So
2: debbie's my favorite now
0: but any but then,
2: but then my students said so now it's, now it's no longer a random mm. act of kindness that no one knows about because you told us and i'm like
0: what yeah. thanks a yeah. lot yeah. now i have to I find another it. one so i found
2: something else don't I, tell us i'm not no, <laughs> okay no. good because the student says so what's your new i like, <laughs> i'm not that stupid
0: <laughs> i'm not falling for that I'm again i'm not falling
2: <laughs> for that again but i still put the shopping carts away
0: yeah right so but you can add layer it one I after the other
2: but but in reality like to answer how can our churches care for for the addict better mm-hmm. right that's 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 how where we started yeah what if we just get 10 percent of your church to pick that ministry to invest in a church mm-hmm. this size that's 400 people 400 hours a week i'll tell you what what happened for uh an addiction ministry 400 hours a week means that you could he- i'm a good asian but my brain is tired
1: he's doing <laughs> math on his phone right now that's why that I said means that. that
2: you could you could realistically help 57 addicts
1: mm.
2: every week because one person could invest one hour a week into an addict's life, which means you could potentially have fifty-seven of me be produced every year.
1: I love that, and I love hearing you say that. It makes my heart super happy. My critical side goes to: I wish more addicts would come out of the woodwork and acknowledge they need help. Well, because it, it's weird. We're. It, we're it's almost like a shameful why society. Would they, why, why would they? If, know, why, that's what I'm it's saying. just a sanction, Like The church hasn't been like, hey, we yeah. are the hospital for the soul. Well, see, the, the church is like, well, we'll help it once they admit. makes me sad. I want more to come out and say, I need help. Well, I need help. If,
2: they, if you want more people to say, I need help, then you need to have a, a structure there for th- to get help from. I
1: know. Why would God give I them hear, to I us? hear you. That's just where my yeah. brain was right? going so, as you were yeah. So
2: let me ask you this. Say so 10% of your church gets on board with this. That is willing to invest one hour. Mm-hmm. A week, mm-hmm. right? And then you were to go to Stetzer's sober living home mm. and say, "Hey, we can we can disciple fifty-seven guys a month."
1: Mm-hmm. That is so many.
0: Some of our people are good at this already. Like, oh, yeah Week. What's hard is it's a ten percent or a twenty percent, right?
2: Well, maybe what you do is you have me come back and I just do a, a weekend series how to start something like this.
0: Let's let's do it. I am all for that. Right. Let's do it. That's and,
2: awesome. You know, but once again, it starts to, the, the pastor can't just say, hey, we're having John come next week, Saturday, show up. What it would take is your pastor doing actually a sermon series on discipleship.
1: I think that's what, I think th- there it is. I think, I don't think many people understand what discipleship is. Mm-hmm. It's a big word. Yeah. It's a heavy word. And I think um, you've done an amazing job of breaking it down to being simple and something that you practical. can do, practical, yeah. attainable, tangible, and I don't think we've probably done a good job of saying what is discipleship and what is it. What is it and what is it not? Well, and how we,
2: easy is it? Well, because we focus on mentorship instead of
0: discipleship. Yes. Or
1: yeah. And right. we've
0: taken out something like the soul care piece sometimes, mm-hmm. which is the counseling, the yep. intentional handling of the addictions that yep. I heart idolatry all that stuff that mm-hmm. we've decided is too heavy yeah because that is one thing christy and i both get is people coming to us saying hey so and so that i've been meeting with they're struggling with this i'm not equipped to deal with it mm-hmm. i don't know what to do yeah. can we send them to a counselor and we may help with that but really so maybe christy's what we do is vision we... is to be like how do i equip you to have those conversations mm-hmm. order them some with some of the these. yeah i mean because that's what them. it takes is the heart the heart conversation don't be afraid right? because here's don't be afraid because here's the thing i'm
2: going to go back to um david giomi kala susan robert miller david was the only one who had any experience with addiction because he was my former bartender but Kaala had never drank in his life pastor robert never drank in his life but what they what they did know was that they could walk with me and point me to the cross Mm. because what we got to understand is that we have like over medicalized addictions where it's this big scary word Mm -hmm. it's just an it's an idolatry issue Mm -hmm. That we've elevated this above being obedient to the word. Mm -hmm. And I think any pastor can can combat that. So let's remove the word addiction and let's replace this with pastors that can you help your congregation overcome idolatry issues? I know I can speak on that. Well then you can help with addictions. That's good. good. (laughs)
0: That's so good. Okay. Well, we've been going we've been talking for a while, so I think that's a good place to end. Thank you so much. I've just enjoyed talking to you. Oh, you're welcome so much and we do need to bring you back in other contexts i think that would be
1: fabulous pick on kelly a little bit more and we'll come back to you in the spring when maybe she can be like hey i, think I can done be with like my classes I can, um, oh for the moment what do you have left i'm sure
0: we've got another victim we can send oh, over we'll there <laughs> anyway thank you so much um dr jonathan okanaga and he has Books, if you would like just to, go, go, to go to Amazon. they on
1: Amazon. O-K-I-N-A-G-A That's <laughs> yes. how so you find him. You can look him. those
0: up um, there if you um, want to see any mm-hmm. of his material. Um, again, thank you so much for coming.
1: You're welcome. Thank but, you.
0: Um, that's it from Noisy Narratives this week. Until um, next time, everybody, this is Noisy Narratives out. Bye. going can be amazing.